All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Tempered Leadership. I'm your host, Eric Rieger. And today I have the pleasure of being joined by my friend, Travis Johnson. Travis, welcome to Tempered Leadership. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great, Eric. Thanks for having me on the show today. Uh, glad we got to connect a week or so ago and talk about all things nonprofit. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you. And uh, with that little segue, you you have a uh, organization, the Nonprofit Architect. Uh, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about uh, that part of your your life? Because we have uh, quite a few things to touch on today. You have a fascinating. I mean, to me, you have a fascinating story. I'm sure you're getting tired of telling it all these years, but uh, there's a lot of people that need to hear your story. But let's let's start with the Nonprofit Architect. Tell tell the listeners what that's all about, because you you have your own podcast too. Oh, absolutely. And thanks for, for letting me uh, my pitch my show. The Nonprofit Architect podcast is helping you build a stronger nonprofit. We interview nonprofit leaders, business leaders, consultants, and people with the skills to help you, you know, not fumble your way through this stuff. We primarily focus on startup nonprofits, but of course, anyone looking to grow their nonprofit and almost everything that we talk about crosses over to business too. So it really helps in the startup community as a whole. And I've uh, been having a lot of fun with it. You can check out the show anywhere. You listen to podcasts, search Nonprofit Architect Podcast, or you can go directly to my link, nonprofitarchitect.org. And all, all the shows are up there and it's, uh, it's definitely a great listen. And I've been uh, trying to pick up bits and pieces of how to get better at this because this is, you know, I'm, I'm fairly new to this whole podcasting thing. I'm having a blast doing it, but when I start to, you know, get to listen to people who have it down and I, I will say you, you have it down. You're uh, you're definitely a good host. You have some riveting topics and we work with a lot of nonprofits and I think, you know, we we've sent the, the link out there to get everybody involved uh, tell, tell everybody how you kind of got involved in nonprofits because you're, uh, you know, start wherever you feel necessary in the journey, but man, oh man, you've had, uh, you've had quite the life. I have, and, and we'll give you the, the kind of the quick run through of how we got to the nonprofit <laughs> work and then how that transitioned into a podcast and what I do. Uh, so first off, I'm, I just completed move number 50. That's five zero. That's half of a century, half a <laughs> half a hundred uh, moves, which is kind of insane to think about. There's only two other people I know that are even close to me uh, that I know personally. One's my mother who did most of the moves that I did, plus others. Um, but uh, before I, you know, I graduated high school, that was 36 moves, 12 schools, six states, five foster homes. I survived not one, but two murder attempts. I know you're only at one rookie. Um, <laughs> I got, you know, serious trouble with the law. Um, and when you have that kind of upbringing, it either completely crushes you or it gives you the strength to do something different, do something with a purpose. Kind of the three big decisions that, that helped me get my life straight was uh, finding Jesus, finding my wife and finding the Navy. And all three of those allow you to you build a new life. They don't care where you came from. They just care that you're there and you can do things moving forward. You know, the, the Navy was huge for me because it gave me the opportunity to build what I wanted to build because everyone in the Navy has honor, courage, commitment. They have the UCMJ. They have orders they have to follow. You have to take care of yourself, stay in shape, get yourself up on time to work, 
in the right uniform with a great attitude, ready to get things done. And when you can move past, they don't care about, you know, what happened in your life. They don't care about whose family you're attached to. Like none of that stuff matters. You're able to build your own way and build your own path. And fortunately I was able to do that um, through a bunch of moves and, and promotions and different things. I finally got to a place where I wasn't in scarcity mode, where I wasn't in survival mode, where I wasn't, you know, in starvation mode. Uh, I don't know your assignment cynic fan, you transition from the finite game to the infinite game. Mm-hmm. And I finally got to this place where I felt like, like home, right? I didn't know what home felt like for more than 30 years of my life. Cause I didn't know what that feeling was supposed to feel like. Cause I never been anywhere. I mean, you average more than two moves a year. By the time you graduate high school, it's hard to understand what that feeling is. And I finally got to that place, you know, with my wife and our two kids and I was like, is this what home feels like? Like, yeah, like what, now why? What do I do? What do I do as, a, as an adult? Am I part of the community? What do people in communities do? And I asked around because I didn't know. I didn't know what people in the communities did. And I found out that, you know, they volunteer, they give to nonprofits, they serve on nonprofits or on boards, and they help build the community around them and help take care of the people in that area. And uh, I asked my buddy, like, what can I do? And he's like, well, you should go meet this person at this, at this event. And I was like, okay. And I, I did the first real thing that I knew how to do. And that was show up. I knew how to show up. I didn't maybe know everything else and know what I was supposed to be doing, but I knew that I could show up. I've been doing it for years in the military. All right. Showing up. I can show up. I got there. I sat down. I started talking to this sweet little old lady next to me, Miss Patty. And Miss Patty was telling me about her daughter, Safari McDoola, who was just a an amazing person telling me about Operation Smiles and traveling around the world and then serving on, I want to say, I don't have this number verified, but something like 40 nonprofit boards in the Oklahoma City area. And I'm like, wow, that is really like dedication wow. to community. I, I would love to meet her. And she's like, well, you missed her by a couple of years. She got killed by a drunk driver. And what Miss Patty was trying to do was, was spread the word about her daughter and help people to come in and help build a memorial for her. And I we decided right then and there, we we're going to adjust some of our giving to make sure we were supporting this cause and help Miss Patty get a memorial built. Well, it turns out the guy I was supposed to meet uh, knew everybody in the room and he was sitting right across the table from me. I was the only new guy and he listened to the whole thing and the whole exchange uh, and, and helped introduce me to a couple of people and then really get me involved in the community. And it wasn't but a couple of weeks later, uh, I mean, weeks, not months, weeks, I got invited to be part of a, a book anthology where there's a, a primary writer, but a different writer writes every chapter. I got involved in this project called Walk with Warriors, and you can find that on Amazon. The author, primary author is Shannon Whittington. If you want to go and grab a copy of my story and get, you know, dive deep into what that looks like, it's only a couple bucks, might as well, but there's amazing stories in there. And I was like, I love this cause. I love what you're doing. What do you need help with? Do you need volunteers? Do you need people on a board? Tell me what you need. And she's like, well, actually, I need board members. So she invited me to be on her board, and that led to another boardship. And just within a, a few short years, you know, we had given more than 20 grand of our money. We had given us seed money for half a dozen nonprofits to start and open up their doors and get up and running. Well, I served on a board, uh, the board of two nonprofits and helped raise over a half a million bucks. Uh, I'd had a lot of fun with it. And then I'm still active duty Navy. I'm over 20 years. Uh, but last year, I got stationed in the Kingdom of Bahrain, which is a small island nation in the Middle East. 
and I'm out there and I'm not doing my nonprofit stuff and I start getting the itch. I'm like, I should be doing something. And uh, I pitched the idea to a friend of mine who's a, a coach in the area. He's like a six or 12 time author. I can't remember if it's half a dozen or a dozen. Amazing man, Asa LeBeau. And I pitched the idea of the Nonprofit Architect podcast and he loved the idea. So we fired it up last year. And actually we just went over a year um, this past September. So had a lot of fun with that. Been able to talk to hundreds and hundreds of nonprofits and amazing individuals like yourself to help us build stronger nonprofits through just a little podcast discussion just like this. So the, the podcast was really driven because you were itching being overseas and not being able to get your hands you know, involved in that. And you're like, I got to stay connected somehow. And technology was really kind of the driver of, well, hey, even though I'm over in uh, Bahrain, I can still stay connected somehow to the community. And that's, that's awesome. That's, that's great to hear. Yeah, this was before COVID. So I made the jump to Zoom before I was forced to, like everyone listening to this thing is. You're a visionary, man. You were, you were well <laughs> ahead of everybody else. <laughs> well, I, I want to ask you something. Um, it's interesting because, you know, I've had uh, several guests on the show and, and uh, one of the gentlemen, Rob Dubay, that I was talking to, him and I had very similar journeys in our business careers. And there was this this epiphany moment in our lives where we realized we weren't the people that we needed to be. Like we weren't, we weren't helping people. We were, you know, I don't want to speak for him, but like I had like an ugly side. Uh, I, I had a temper. Uh, I was very reactionary. I, I, everything just set me off. There were a lot of reasons for that. I wound up going to therapy. Uh, you know, I've been open about talking about that journey. But was there a moment in your life, either at an early age or as you were going through these things, where there was just kind of that 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 trigger moment where you were like, "I've I've got to make a change," and where where just or was this more of a gradual thing for you of, you know, getting getting certain pieces of your life straightened out and 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 then it just was a gradual thing, or was there just this one set moment where it was just enough? I've I've got to change who I am. Uh, there was definitely one specific moment, but there was a there was a few moments leading up to that where you know it, it evolved that that change evolved through there. So the reason we moved so much when I was a kid is because my mom suffers from bipolar disorder, paranoid schizophrenia with psychotic tendencies, multiple personalities, and PTSD. Which I don't know if you know this, but even one of those is a huge pain. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's, that's, that's quite a handful to deal with in just, yeah. just one of those, but to have that as right. a, a, a cornucopia of problems. Right. Sure. And you know, it just really depends on what, which doctor treated her, but all of our, those moves growing up were based on her needing treatment, right? We would be in some situation, um, things would happen. We would have to live with a family member or move into a foster home uh, while mom got treatment. And then she would come out of treatment and because she went involuntarily, she would still have custody. So then we would move somewhere else. So kindergarten, second grade, fourth grade and seventh grade, I was in three different schools during each of those school years. Um, it, <laughs> I tell you, being being the new kid is not fun, but I got a whole lot of practice being the new kid. <laughs> and now uh, <laughs> now people that meet me, they're like, man, this guy is a little much, don't you think? The problem I have is, is I'm just immediately comfortable and they're not yet comfortable with me, but I'm just comfortable with everyone. So they're not okay with that yet. But once they get 
you know, once they ease themselves in and get, you know, jump into the deep end of the pool with me, everything, everything is just fine. But I mean, we've only had one conversation before this and you felt like we've known each other forever. I, I think that's an important point of, you know, my, my journey in leadership, <clears throat> which is still ongoing, is there was a point in time where I, you know, and this was coaches and mentors, and there's that whole saying, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I just embraced it at some point was like, okay, I can fight this and, and have this, uh, you know, thing in my head that at some point, it's just going to magically all be easy, which it's never going to, you know, when you're in leadership, the more you take on, the more responsibilities, there's challenges, there's never going to be this set in point where you can just relax. Um, so getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, I'm kind of like you, I think that's why our first call just went like, you know, we were old buddies, because it was like, you know, it's all new, but you know, you're really good in practice that being the new guy. And I'm just kind of like, go with the flow. And, you know, five minutes into it, we're just having a chat and here we are now, like, you know, <laughs> like we've known each other for 40 years. So it's, it's, it's pretty cool. But I, I, I would, I would strongly recommend that practice to anybody is, you know, the more comfortable you can be with being uncomfortable, the less uncomfortable things will be when they're new, when you're the new person in the room, new to a situation, dealing with change. It's all good stuff. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the biggest thing is, well, how do you how do you do it? And what was the big secret? And like, well, you have to memorize a little saying. And they're like, what do you mean a little saying? Like, do you have like a little mantra? And it's like, well, let, let's practice it real quick. And they're like, okay. I'm like, hi, I'm Travis. What's your name? That's it. That's the end of the mantra. That's the end of the secret. Because whomever you're meeting feels the same way you do. It just needs one of you two to, to introduce yourself and say hello. And once that's done, it, you just go on from there. You're going to learn things about each other and what you like and what you don't like. And if you like sports or if you care about politics or whatever your thing is, you're going to get right into it. And that's no big deal. But, you know, coming through that journey with, with that kind of family and you, I was able to really have the wherewithal most of the time to really not understand exactly what was going on, but to really understand you know, to stand back and see how I felt about everything. And one of the great things I learned is a lot of what not to do. I got to witness a lot of different things growing up and we either seem to be mirrors of our parents or we seem to reject everything that we see. And I went on more of the rejection route because I saw what they were doing and it didn't seem to work out and uh, I wanted to do things differently. But there was a definitely a time where I was really upset as a kid, just really angry didn't feel like anything I did mattered. I got into a, a huge period in there where I would lie, cheat, and steal. And I just didn't think it mattered. Right? I was like, I can just say whatever I want because I'm just going to move in a month anyway and not see any of these people again. What the heck do I care? And as soon as I, I onboarded that attitude, we stayed in the same spot for three years. So it immediately blew up in my face. Uh, <laughs> <Oops>. <laughs> I got to a new school. I... I lied just about every everything. Oh, tell me something about yourself. Come up with some wild tale, um, because I didn't I didn't think I would be seeing these people, and I didn't think anything I did mattered. I didn't think anyone cared about me or any of those things. And you know, through time and through different situations, I, I discovered and peeled back the layers that that was that wasn't true. You know, I didn't really finish my mission statement. You know, all these all these things I went through growing up. There was always some person, some group, some organization, some church, some nonprofit that was willing to 
keep clothes on my back, keep food in my belly, keep a roof over my head. And now I really feel like it's my mission to help the helpers. And I think that's very important to understand. Um, when I joined the Navy, I was coming off of a high school career of like, I don't know, 2.2, whatever garbage GPA I could muster because my life was just terrible. I didn't know where I was going to sleep. I didn't know if I'd be sleeping under the same roof the next night. I didn't like, there's so many uncertainties and that just weighs down on you, weighs down on you, weighs down on you. But when you're able to break free and create your own existence, when you get to decide what you're okay with, what you're not okay with, what you're going to do, what you're not going to do, how you're going to respond to the situation ahead of you. Because my sister and I, we responded very different ways to all these different stressors. Her job in her mind was to make the stress worse. It was her job to create more stress than she was receiving because she could overpower it by creating her own kind of situations and drama or whatever we want to call that thing. I took the point of view that it would, whatever was happening was going to be temporary and I could determine what it was going to be like. Yeah, this sucks today, but tomorrow I might be in a completely new situation. And I could, I, I, I fared a little bit better than she did, you know, getting in, into the Navy and you get the opportunity, regardless of your past, to make whatever you want of yourself. If they say show up on time and you show up on time, they're like, man, this is great. We're going to promote you and you get promoted and you're like, man, this new promotion was great for about 10 minutes. Now it sucks. It was work I got to do. You got to get all these qualifications. So you get all these qualifications because it sucks not being qualified because everyone was like, why aren't you qualified yet? And you get all these qualifications and you're like, wow, this guy is really taking care of business. We're going to promote him again. And then you realize you're the only guy with qualifications. You're like, man, this sucks. So then you help <laughs> everyone else in the room get these qualifications because you don't want to do it alone, right? It's just, right. Even, even if it's just out of self-interest, you're like, you're like, hey, you guys got to get qualified. This is garbage. Come on, let's go. And you're like, wow, this guy's got leadership. We're going to promote him again. <laughs> and, and before I knew it, those listening that are uh, in the military, you know, I went from E1 to E6 in, in seven years in the Navy in a job that, that isn't really friendly to, to quick promotions. And I got to a point, my, my, my real big turnaround is, although I was doing good things, Although I was doing the work that needed to be done, my quality of work was high, my, my real work was low, uh, you know, working with getting along all those different metrics that we care about. Even though I was doing all that, I was a huge smart ass. What I discovered you? was, you? I'm not saying this to be <laughs> honest, that I, I'm quick, I'm more quick witted than a lot of people around me. And I would use that instead of slinging praise, I would sling mud all over the place very sarcastic treat people poorly um thought i was being hilarious turns out i'm not as funny as i think i am huh. <laughs> i'm i'm not and i can relate to that this really you know came to a head when when someone new checked in to my command where i was at and i thought this guy was the biggest jackass ever and someone's like Hey, you're like brothers. You're like the same person. And I was like, <gasps> I had no idea that's the way that everyone else saw me. And between that and really just deciding that I was going to change my circle of people, um, between those two things kind of happening at the same time, really changed who I was. 
I'm like, look, I'm not hanging around with people that are, are going to get me in trouble or just care about partying. I'm going to hang around with people that, that care about the Lord, that care about their families, that care about getting better, doing better things, whether that's learning or college or whatever the thing is, people that are focusing on taking better care of them and the world directly around them. That's the people I want to hang out with. So I, I parted ways with a lot of people. I stopped returning phone calls. I stopped making plans. And then in the group setting, when someone would set me up very nicely to spike a sarcastic comment right down their throats, I didn't know the right thing to say. So I just didn't say anything. And people were like, Travis, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, you don't have anything to say. And you know, <laughs> the little hecklers on the side are like, huh? Uh, we got uh, this for you. Go ahead and slam it home. We know you love to. And I decided that's no longer the person I'm going to be. If that's the way people perceive me, then my internal view of myself is definitely not matching the out, the external view of myself. And I wanted to change that. And that got me into college and that got me helping the other people around me get promoted and do things. I got everyone in the command enrolled in college everyone in the command rolled in this apprenticeship program. And before I knew it, they were handing me high level programs that were putting me in, in good positions because I was always doing the work, but I was letting my mouth get in the way. And that big switch, that big change for me was when I decided that I wasn't going to be a jackass anymore. It was time to be an adult and do adult things and move on with my life and, and really take control of that, even though I was already doing good things. I wasn't doing enough to get me out of the way of myself. It was kind of, it was really when somebody inadvertently showed you who, who they perceived you to be this, this, you know, on par with this guy you thought was a jackass. And it's like, they're like, we can't tell you two apart. That was kind of a switch for you. Um, and, and, do you, you know, having gone through some of these things with, uh, you know, the mental health issues that your mother had, um, you know, I, I've been open about going to therapy. I've suffered for depre with depression most of my life. Uh, my parents didn't have the greatest relationship. I mean, they were married for 46 years, but uh, they didn't know how to deal with any type of uh, situation. So I learned the behaviors of, you know, if you're, if you're struggling with something, you just, you just walk out, you just walk away from the other person. You don't deal with it. You let it kind of sit and fester and then you lash out. I used humor as kind of a deflective uh, protective mechanism. So like I was, I was like you, I was a smart ass all the time. I still have tendencies to, but I'm, I'm learning to, you know, re rein that in and, and just be funny for the sake of, you know, when there's a, was there an opportunity, but not, trying not to put other people down in the process of it. But for me, a lot of times it was, it was a self-defense mechanism because I felt, you know, I either felt trapped, I felt cornered, I didn't know what to do. Uh, I felt like uh, I was going to be exposed for a fraud, you know, because growing up, I mean, people thought I was smart. You know, I had tendencies to be, uh, you know, doing good in school and certain things and just, just kind of, I, I took to things and it, it just, a lot of things seemed natural to me and I was able to figure things out, put, connect dots, put things together. And so you get kind of that smart guy and, you know, there's a lot of things I don't know. And then people start expecting things of you. Like, you know, you're, you're that, well, how come you don't know the answer? And so humor became kind of a, a deflective 
And I'm, you know, again, I had to realize that, you know, a lot of times that humor could be sensed this passive aggressive behavior, or, you know, like in your case, you said, they just, they thought you were a jackass. So, I mean, that's, to, to me, that was part of my mental health journey is, is figuring out, cause that was one of the first things my, my therapist says, like, do you ever take anything seriously? Is everything a joke? And I'm like, well, you know, maybe we need to dive into that a little bit because <laughs> humor is a crutch for sure. Yeah. When, you know, I had several times I went through therapy for different reasons and my most recent therapist within the last five years, he asked me about my story. And when I told my story, when I told my background, he made a couple of notes and the next time we talked he asked me again about one of the same things he wanted to see if i re would repeat a behavior and he told me something that i never knew like when i tell my story i take in a deep breath and I have a smirk or a smile on my face as i tell my super extremely painful story and i didn't realize i was doing this i was taking that humor as a way to block the tears in because my story is wretched, rugged, harsh, vicious. And those of you watching the video right now are like, you look great. What are you talking about? <laughs> Sound calm, confident, cool, and collected. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I can hear you right now as, as I'm saying this stuff. The millions of listeners across the globe. The millions <laughs> upon millions of listeners. Um, but it was painful. And just last night, I was thinking about my son right now. He's in, he's 12, he's in seventh grade. And I was thinking about my time in seventh grade and it was probably one of the most tumultuous years of my life. And I decided to put it on my Facebook group, you know, facebook.com slash group slash nonprofit architect. You can go read this story if you want to. Um, or I talk about my seventh grade, my seventh grade, my mom had just got married to her third husband. We moved to a new place again, of course, uh, kind of a running theme, Travis, we get it. And I, I moved, <laughs> got to a place and there was an area high school, Minnewaska area high school. It was seven through 12. Well, I'm the youngest guy in my class because I started kindergarten when I was four. And I was also pretty much smaller than everybody. So I'm the youngest, smallest guy in something that's seven through 12. And 12, I mean, yeah, seniors in high school, you've got some monsters out there, like six, four plus just behemoths. And I'm like, I don't know, 70 pounds and like four and a half feet tall, like the smallest guy imaginable. Um, but, you know, we got there, her third husband, he, he stopped being a truck driver to be a pig farmer. And then my mom started getting in one of her manic cycles and she really loved singing and she joined a band and it was a touring band. So she left us ah. with him to go tour. Um, when Christmas came, I can't remember the exact timeline of when she left to when we go, went to see her, but we went out to see her on Christmas in Dickinson, North Dakota, which is the complete opposite side of the state from Minnesota where I'm from. So you had to travel the entire length of North Dakota, which is not very scenic, especially during a blizzard. But we were going like 96 miles an hour across I-94. Uh, we get there and we're there for like a day or so. And my sister does what she does best. 
and was pushing his buttons because that's what she's really good at. I mean, she's a pro. She is a pro. You take the most confident person out there and, and, and put them in the room, and I'm not trying to, you know, bag in my sister, but she will just, like, get right in there and have you frustrated before you know it if she wants to. He picked her up and kind of, like, shook her a little bit and was screaming, and he's like, ah, before – he like realized what he was doing and like dropped her on the bed and, you know, she wasn't hurt or anything. But then my mom kicked him out and we stayed on the road with the band doing homework, doing lessons while we were traveling with a band and we hit such exotic locations as Sydney, Montana, Riverton, Wyoming, Green River, Wyoming, you know, all the destinations. And I don't know how long we were on the road with her, maybe about a month or so. And this is, you know, back in the early 90s. So it's not like you have a smartphone to do your, you know, homework and stuff with. Just calling teachers after school, trying to get assignments. She had like assignments mailed to us or something, you know, really dedicated to our education as we are now like, you know, hijacked or kidnapped on the road with this, this band called Way Out West. I can't believe I still remember the name of the stupid band. But then we get back. To Starbucks, Minnesota, and we go in front of social services, and she goes and gets help again. We moved to Glenwood, which is the next town over, but it's still going to the same high school. So I'm like trying to catch up on homework and stuff. And then she gets released, scoops us up, takes us to Fergus Falls, Minnesota. You know, all the big cities. I don't leave a single <laughs> of this thing. And we live with her, some of her friends for I think a few weeks, uh, Gary and Sally Pearson, before we live in some duplex or split level home where we have the downstairs and someone else has the upstairs apartment for a couple months and then we finally move out of town to a trailer park just outside of town and this is all still in the same school year there's still months left of seventh grade almost a whole semester left of seventh grade and it sucked it sucked a lot but the first day on the bus at this, if you want to call it third school, right? You've got the high school, then we were like on the road doing homeschool. And then this is the third school. The first day on the bus, I see this girl. There she was, sun shining through her hair. <laughs> and she was just beating the tar out of my sister. And I was like, wow. Someone that hates my sister as much as I do. <laughs> and I tell it that way to be funny on purpose, but it's true because my little sister was picking on my now wife's youngest sister. Oh, because boy. the first day on the bus, my sister's being a pain uh, to whoever she wants to be. She walked right to the back of the bus, said, this is my spot. You need to get out of it. And they'd been riding this bus their entire lives. Their parents rode the same bus. Like there was no, there was no jockeying for position. Uh, I'm now married to that woman, <laughs> which is funny. And we've been together for like 21 years, which is just nuts. Well, so you owe that to your sister. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm going to say. I owe that to my sister. Thank <laughs> you. But these times are going to happen and you're going to feel shuffled around. You're not going to know where you're sleeping. Your scenery is going to change. Your food source is going to change. You're going to get the movie Free Willy for Christmas, and that's the only VHS you have and the only movie your sister wants to watch and you're stuck watching this movie. Or if you have kids, 
anyone that has kids know that their kid has a favorite movie. Uh, I think my my niece right now, hers is Frozen and Frozen 2. And my daughter went to babysit for them and watched Frozen and Frozen 2 800 times uh, wow. over the summer here, I think. You get put in that and that's all you have. But you th- these situations happen and you have to decide how you're going to handle it. Well, that's, that's been, and so, you know, tell, tell everybody a little bit about, you know, your, your journey into the Navy. Like, how did you, where was, where was the point where you decided that the military was going to be, uh, you know, you said that was one of the three pillars for you. Um, what, what was the catalyst for, for that? How did you get involved there? And, you know, secondly, thank you for your service. I mean, 20 plus years, um, you know, we owe a debt of gratitude to all the men and women who have ever served this country, yourself included. Uh, we wouldn't be able to do what we're doing right now if it wasn't for the sacrifice of yourself and everybody else. So thank you for that. How, d- how, did, you, how did you land there? How did you come to that point where the Navy was going to be one of those three pillars for yourself? Well, to the military point, you know, I think you're worth it. So I appreciate you saying thank you. Um, so I graduated high school in 99 and I was working three jobs. I was a ship supervisor at Burger King. And I wake up and do the breakfast hour. I go across town to the bowling alley and work the lunch counter. Now, I don't know where you're from listening to the show, but up north, especially in the upper Midwest, bowling alleys are a destination. Like they have the oh, best yeah. down. Like down south, it's just like a bunch of fi- fried crap. And people are like, why would you be at the bowling alley? Go to the bowling alley in Fergus Falls, Minnesota, and get uh, a Philly chicken or a Philly steak, a, a handmade pizza, a hand-spun malt, soup of the day, chili. Like, it's fabulous. Um, we're we're going to do a whole nother podcast, me and you, of bowling alleys across a, a, the, the north part of America. And it'll be like a Guy Fieri <laughs> show, but just with the two of us going to bowling alleys. <laughs> well, I've been to all 50 states, so I can talk about bowling alleys on all over the well i used to be a professional bowler so i mean we've got a thing here so (laughs) yeah Uh, but i would i would take a a little break and then i go unload truck for walmart from 5 p.m to 2 in the morning i did this five days a week and you know at this point i had i had moved out of the house with of my mom i moved in with my grandmother and i told my mom i was like look if you love me at all you're just gonna leave me you know let me do this you're not gonna say anything about it and she never said anything about it. I moved in with grandma, started, you know, building a foundation and all those good things. And, uh, you know, built a relationship with my dad who tried as he might over the years, wasn't able to really get into the picture because when you start talking about mental illness and, and how that affects people, like there's just no helping, there's just no helping. And, uh, a lot of times being in that arena is, is not worth the battle sometimes but built a relationship with my dad and he was a prior Navy guy. He was a prior sailor, a boiler tech serving in the bowels of the ship, keeping the ship moving. Um, and he'd come to me with an opportunity. He's like, Hey, the local community college, like he was a boy at this point, he was a boiler inspector for the state of Minnesota. He's like community colleges. They're looking for, for maintenance guys. I, I can get you in there. I'll get you certified to work on the boiler, which is what one of the things that he did. And they're paying like 18 bucks an hour. And I was like, dad, I'm already working three jobs. I can't go get another job. He's like, get rid of those three crappy jobs and get one good job. And uh, it's fantastic advice. I didn't take the job he had offered me at the time, but uh, I had toyed around with the military a little bit and I had 
lured a recruiter into my circle and then cast him aside when I didn't need him anymore. And then this was like a year later. I was like, let me call this, let me call this, uh, this Navy guy again and see what he's got to offer. And I asked my dad, I was like, what do you think? What should I do? He's like, I don't know what you should do, but they treat those aviation boys pretty good. And coming from him who never saw the light of day maintaining the ship, uh, I decided to take his word for it. And uh, my recruiter was an AME, an aviation structural mechanic focusing on safety equipment. And they took care of ejection seats and liquid oxygen and canopies and fire extinguishing systems, oxygen systems, you know, really kind of cool stuff dealing with ejection seats. And he told me what all these little aviation jobs were. And it's like, what else you got? And he's like, that, that was it. Those were all the <laughs> options. I was like, oh, well, what do you do again? And he told me that he was an Amy. I was like, ah, sign me up for that. Sounds good. <laughs> and the rest is history. <laughs> and the rest is history. Yeah, went to boot camp shortly thereafter. Graduated, went out to NAS Lemoore in California. It's right in the middle of the state. And started working on F-18s on ejection seats. And got to go out to the aircraft carrier a couple of times, launch airplanes off the end of the deck. They filmed behind enemy lines with Owen Wilson and Gene Hackman at our squadron. I got to mount a movie camera in the back of an F-18. That was pretty oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of, a lot of people sometimes forget, you know, I mean like the military, I, I think the appreciation for military in our country is, is solid. You know, I think most people appreciate what the military does. Um, but a lot of times, people have that concept in their mind of the, the people on the front lines, the people doing that, but there's so many men and women behind the scenes that are making it possible for those people to do that. And it's such a complex machinery that's involved of, you know, why we have the greatest military in the world. Um, you got to be part of that and, and you got cool stories out of it. I mean, you're, you're, you're mounting cameras on F-18s. That's a, that's, that's a pretty cool part of the journey, I would say. Uh, it, it definitely is. And, and you know, when you say military, people automatically think, depending on what era they're in, right, they, they think of Vietnam or they think of Desert Storm. They think or they think of movies like, what is that movie? Top Gun? Well, I mean, yeah, but they think that's the Air Force, even though that's the Navy. I don't know why they think it's the Air Force. <laughs> no, we, uh, we had Metal a jacket. They, they think of oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that right? They think that the military is just soldiers or Marines, boots on the ground, marching and lined up in line shooting guns. And that is a very, very small part of our military, even when you talk about the Marines, even when you talk about the Army. Like, the Navy has more airplanes than the Air Force does, and the Army has more boats than the Navy. Not more ships, there's a distinction, but they have more boats. <laughs> And like I was over in Bahrain in the on a small island nation in the Persian Gulf in the Middle East, and there's Coast Guard out there and there's Coast Guard ships and what they're doing. Like it, it's so complex and so amazing. And and none of us are doing it alone. There was like 30 some partner nations out there, a huge coalition helping to combat piracy and smuggling and other things out there. Like you don't even you don't even think about it. And the Navy is the only service that never stands down. You know, obviously we've been dealing with Iran, uh, Iraq and Afghanistan and now Syria for, for many, many years, but you know, between the end of the Gulf War and 
the Air Force didn't do a whole lot. And I don't need people calling in to, oh, we did stuff. I, yeah, you did stuff. I understand. <laughs> but like you, you weren't actively like engaged. Like the Air Force, yeah, they're moving some components around the world. But the Army reverted. They, they downsized, went back into training mode. Marines downsized, went back into training mode. Navy still has to keep the world's ceilings open. Still has to make sure that the oil can get out of the Persian Gulf to the rest of the world. They still got to make sure that people can sail around China right now without being harassed by the Chinese because they keep building these islands and saying, oh, this water is now ours. You know, apparently they have that accent. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but, you know the, Navy, the Navy never stands down. There's always something going on. It's just never in the, and never in the news. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's definitely, I think, you, you tell me if I'm wrong, but it's, it's, it's helped from the leadership perspective, mold who you are. Uh, obviously, you know, you're not going to go in there all fast and loose and just do things your own way. They, they have a few systems and processes you need to follow. Uh, so that's, that's another aspect that you bring to the table. Um, we're, we're, we're coming up on our time here, but I, I do want to touch on one thing before we end the podcast. You, you made a very controversial statement yesterday on social media. And I, I, I just want to give you a chance to, uh, you know, address the, the audience. Um, you know, and I, I will say before we bring this up that I, I do support you 100% on, on your position. But, uh, you know, you do, do you, you know what I'm talking about your controversial statement from yesterday? Was it the political statement on my page? Yes, yes. Would you like to? Would you like to address that? Any part you know, of that? I, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it up to make sure I can get this verbatim because I, I think this is important. Um, it it was. I mean, it's a, it's something that we don't talk about enough. Um, and you were absolutely right in your position, but I, I definitely think it can be controversial. And uh, you don't seem like a guy that would shy away from controversy. So, I mean, that's why you put it out there. You said you'd been holding it no, back. And, and... And I got to say this. So I'm going to read this verbatim, just to be clear. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I, don't, I don't normally get political, but I don't think I can hold back anymore. I can't stand this even in the slightest, and I must speak out. Those who know me best already know this about me, but I want to be perfectly clear. Tacos are not just for Tuesdays. There I said it. And, and, and that's, you know, it's needed to be said, in my opinion, for a long time. And I've been, you know, I've been too quiet for too long. I will agree with you. There is never a bad time and never a bad meal where you can have a taco. <laughs> and I think, I think that's how we Absolutely, should end this show. Yeah. <laughs> Travis, it was a pleasure having you on today. And let's, uh, let's remind people how they can find you, the, the website, uh, if you want to give out an email, a phone number, how can people reach out? Because I think you're definitely somebody people should know just in general, but especially if you're in the nonprofit space, how can we connect? Absolutely. Without a doubt, reach me by email, nonprofitarchitect at gmail.com. You can check out my show at nonprofitarchitect.org. You can find me on Facebook, primarily also on LinkedIn, search nonprofit architect. And I will come up. And I, I can I can vouch for that because I have done that. Not that I was Google stalking you or anything, but uh, I like to do some research. And uh, so it's nonprofitarchitect.org. And you'll be able to find everything you need from there. All the shows are on there. How many podcasts have you been doing this over a year now? So how many podcasts do you have up now? Uh, there's 51 out there live and ready to go. 
I've got some fantastic episodes, interviews with Stephen Kuhn. We talk about how to make your website into an active employee that spans across each and every industry out there. I've got guests like Preston Cohn, who used to work for Facebook and Google. He gets you the Google ad grant, which is 10 grand a month, up to $120,000 a year of free marketing if you're a 501c3. I interview Vincent James, and he talks about how he keeps music alive, and he does that by contacting celebrities and getting people like Julie Andrews to come on board. And he shows you and teaches you in the episode how to do that. He's even got a little free PDF of the email template he uses to ask celebrities to speak on his behalf. And I've even got Chris Darren, who is an improv comic that does business seminars. And we walk through three, uh, one of those very poorly, uh, on my part, talk about three different things that improv comics use to keep the story moving along and how to use it in your boardroom. So there's tons of different topics if I'm not sure when this is coming out, but probably Elizabeth Pampalone is going to be live on there. She talks about how to do five days worth of branding and get all your marketing content, all your social media posts, all your blog posts written for an entire year and how to do that just in one week. Fabulous, fantastic shows out there. Thank you so much, Eric, for having me on the show and letting me promote my stuff. Travis, it's been a pleasure. And I will tell you as somebody who owns a for-profit business, but works with nonprofits. There's, you know, don't let the, the fact, the name, the nonprofit architect fool you. There's a lot that for-profit businesses can learn by following you and listening to the podcast. Uh, so I highly recommend it. Get out there and uh, take a listen. Travis Johnson, everybody, thank you for joining me. Uh, take care of yourselves, be well, and we will see you uh, next week on the show. Thank you for listening. Oh, thank you.